welcome everyone to another podcast here at Copper Digital. Really excited to have uh, Manoj here. Uh, Manoj, welcome to the team and welcome to this podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. This is my first time doing a podcast. I have some butterflies in my stomach. <laughs> <laughs> well, wonderful. No, this is, uh, we are so lucky to have you here. And I know you're on uh, so many discussions and meetings with clients, collaborating, partnering, forging partnerships. So I think this is uh, just another conversation. Of course, uh, you know, we started uh, a podcast series where I wanted to highlight uh, the people that are here that make things happen at Copper Digital. And then I spoke with our design head and that was very well received because it was an inspiration for uh, people who want to choose that as a career in the future. And also similarly, I think uh, there were other podcasts and we got some really good feedback. So I thought with uh, such wonderful credentials you have and you know, in this week that you're just joining us, it was, um, you know, really an amazing idea for uh, the rest of the clients, our community to get to know you a little bit as they would be uh, collaborating with you and hearing from you. So I think uh, so this podcast can have a lot of those goals that we can accomplish here. But other than that, I mean, podcast is usually about having a great conversation and having a good time. So, uh, you know, this is uh, nothing different than anyways, when we talk and strategize and share ideas, I think it's going to be very similar to that. Absolutely. And I think it's also very important for our internal audience, some within the office, some on the other side of the globe, because this way, you know, we get clued into their thoughts and they get clued into ours, right? Absolutely. No, well said. I think you're right. Because a lot of our employees that are in the US, it's going to be difficult for them to, you know, get that face-to-face time or get to know you, um, you know, at that level. And I think, um, you know, just going through the, this podcast, I think would definitely serve that purpose as well. How did you get started in you know, wanting to become an engineer and eventually then becoming a CTO. So I'd like to maybe have a similar type of a discussion where I want to really genuinely, curiously get to know you, you know, so today you are here as SVP and launching new markets, which we are super excited about. How did you get started? Were you like, did you know growing up that this is what you wanted to do? And like, when did you first get this idea that, you know, you wanted to be an important pillar or a tech company and, uh, you know, be delivering solutions, solving problems for a lot of the customers that we have? Okay, um, very interesting question. Uh, you know, I've been, I've been, I started thinking the minute you started asking the question because you know, Arvind, honestly speaking, the re- that realization came very late in my um, life cycle. So I'm an engineer by training. My first qualification was an engineer, and then I went to business school. But I really never had planned being an engineer. I wanted to do something different, and my choice didn't go very well with my dad, who was. You know, obviously, uh, in, in growing up in India, you know that parents have a large choice in shaping career decisions. And I'm very happy that my dad made that choice for me and asked me to go and pursue engineering. And um, I think uh, it is only because of that that I got it got interested in, in pursuing engineering and then be school uh, later on. But the great thing that happened was that as soon as I came out of the engineering school, I found myself in the middle of 19... 19- and 1990s, which was a great time to be in the growing, exploding information technology industry in India, right? I mean, mobile phone industry, World Wide Web, 
uh, everything was just going crazy. So great time to uh, be here. I, I worked in India for a while, worked in US for a while, came back. And I think the whole customer solutioning and sales passion became more, you know, acute. And I got really interested in it in the last 20, 25 years working with organizations like Jindal and the companies that I worked for before Jindal. But I think those uh, stints were very important in shaping my shaping my career decision. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that because I think that's an important question when someone looks up to you and sees that, you know, you are one of the most senior people here at the organization that's growing, that's in multiple countries, then a lot of the younger people would aspire to be like you. So, you know, thank you for sharing that. But I guess, uh, what was your first job out of uh, engineering? Did you get a job or did you just uh, directly go and pursue your business degree? Well, I didn't have the choice or the luxury of pursuing a business degree due to the family circumstances. So I uh, got the first job out of, I mean, actually the campus placement, which put me in a very exciting industry, the mobile phone industry in India. I went to work for the service provider and I used to work on mobile mobile phone towers and hang mobi- mobile phone radios and maintain them in Bombay in uh, so that was my first job actually very exciting very interesting I was a kid out of college Uh, we didn't have a landline phone at home and here I was in Bombay the best place to be in India at that point of time if you know what I'm saying with two mobile phones not one (laughs) we were the king of the world going to various customer places, installing, working with backend, working with the customer support for resolving customer issues, working with our various international service providers and suppliers to our company. Got it. Got it. How interesting. You know, I'm going to date myself here, but I think I got my first mobile phone um, in the late 90s and I can totally understand that, uh, you know, at that time, the passion, oh my God, I have a phone and, you know, you would like almost, and this may sound silly, but you would almost hope that your phone rings and others get to know that, oh, you've got a mobile phone. It was that kind of uh, a time. So uh, very interesting. Yeah. So uh, I guess then your first, first job was in Mumbai and did you grow up here in Delhi? Got it. So you I live in various parts of the uh, My dad used to work for the army. So a few years in Delhi and then a few years all over Delhi. And then uh, engineering school in uh, Aurangabad University and uh, then to Bombay for my first job. Got it. Got it. So then you got your first job. How long were you there working as an engineer, working with towers and I guess uh, enabling the technology for India to have now what largest number of mobile uh, phones, um, you know, in, in any comparison with any Yeah, yeah absolutely. We are the second largest uh, uh, consumer of mobile phones in, in the world, uh, just after China. And um, I worked there for about uh, three years before, uh, you know, this is a time when, um, this is a time when, uh, you know, popularly known in our industry as the Y2K time. So there were a lot of engineers that were being asked by a lot of organizations in the U.S. to come and work in the U.S. for uh, maintaining and creating applications that would safeguard them against the so-called Y2K bug. And uh, then after working at the um, service mobile phone service provider for three years in Bombay, I uh, moved to the U.S. to New Jersey and started working for um, a software development firm. I worked there for a few years before coming back to India. Oh, how amazing. How long were you in the U.S.? On and off for about four years. Okay, got it, got it. Very cool. So what kind of uh, job was it in uh, New Jersey or in the U.S. generally? 
well uh, the organization that i used to work for is, is um was um, a staff augmentation company and actually my job with them was a sales job so i was working with organizations like at&t in new jersey which was one of the largest consumers of augmented engineers or uh, contractors and uh, we were basically doing a lot of short term and long term placements for AT&T and several other organizations but one of my largest accounts was AT&T uh, yeah. so i was working with the schools uh, team in that organization fulfilling their requirements and serving the client wonderful wonderful so that's where now i understand you got the hang of um that there's such a huge opportunity there's a dearth of good engineers especially in the US market you know one of the largest consumer markets uh, around the globe and that's when you saw this opportunity saw the demand that wow looks like um, you know there are so many of these contract engineers that these fortune 500 companies are going to need and then you were selling um, you know um, like resources and engineers to those companies so then you you came back was it because uh, you know you were missing india or um, were there other bigger better things that you wanted to try out here what did you do um, after you got back from the us actually six of one and half a dozen of the other arvind um, you know um, india was as is now india was exploding with opportunities the whole offshoring outsourcing market in the it and its industry was just going crazy there was so much happening in india that i felt that you know there were more opportunities for me in india than in the us number one and equally important was the fact that i'm the only son of my parents and i got the drift that they were really missing me and vice versa and um, that was really once i found an opportunity in india i think i didn't waste any time in buying a one way ticket and hopping back home my employer tried to lure me back with uh, offer of a green card but uh, my goals i think uh, you know my goals were different and larger at that point of time and i had to decline and come back Yeah. Very fun cool, fact fun cool. fact is that I used to live as a I used to live in in New Jersey and my landlord uh, the the gentleman who I rented a house from he was also from India and he came to Bombay to meet with my parents and ask my parents for my hand in matrimony for his niece who is in Bombay. Oh wow. Got it. That's how you met your uh, wife. Wonderful. No, no, no. That uh, we, 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 my dad didn't say yes because my dad said, "I, I just, my son just came back. I'm not sending him back to the." <laughs> uh, okay, got it. Of course, then I guess they wanted you to come back uh, over there and understood. And then, right. when did you start a family? When you, when you came back here, or I, I assume over the next few years, yeah, that's when you started. Got it. You know, and that's and yeah, uh, yeah. that's an important. I met in Bali. Got it. Yeah. and you know that's an important question that a lot of the um, people struggle with like um meaning there are so many options of course they a lot of um, the engineers who graduate from here they get an opportunity to go to the US and i know that most of the people you know they have somewhere or the other this inclination to come back and um, you know bring that change in india as well and or even start a company or uh you know grow with the company i think uh that's one choice and the other one of course is you know you you stay there and and uh apply for the green card i think i was on the other in the other camp you know for me as i was growing up the only thing i wanted was to uh not that i don't you know appreciate everything that india has offered to me i mean of course the uh education the school and forever grateful but i knew that 
I wanted to get away and not be here at all. I would have, you know, gotten any job anywhere in the Western world. And this was from even when I was in 11th grade. Um, you know, I would tell tell everybody that no matter what I'm going, you know, my first choice was uh, U.S., but I got rejected from the University of Texas at Austin to get my master's there. Um, but later on, they accepted me for getting my MBA, which was great and sort of a full circle, you know, and uh, that felt great. But at the same time, I think I always um, thought that if it's not the U.S., then maybe Australia or Canada or UK. But I just always was super fascinated with um, the lack of chaos, uh, you know, and sometimes like our, some chaos is good, of course, but I just wanted to be there uh, always. And, and I think a lot of people, you know, face sort of this decision. I think um, even uh, Rupak, uh, you know, know well, uh, you know, he got an opportunity first time to get a green card uh, with the company that he spent 11 years with and then uh, he declined. And then second time around when I asked him that, that's when he, you know, was able to make that decision. So I think that's an important decision. And that kind of shapes, uh, you know, a lot of your other um you know, aspects of life, like where do you start the family and, uh, you know, where where you live. But I think you, you sort of have best of both the worlds because it looks like then the clients that you were working with were in the U.S. and you were frequently going to the U.S. I think you also mentioned you have a lot of family over there. Um, so I think looking back, do you, do you think this is, uh, you know, this is uh, something that you uh, aspired for to to you know be settled in India and then be able to do business all over the globe, not just US, but like now how you are helping us with expanding in Western Europe, in Australia, New Zealand. I think um, looking back, is that what you always intended? Not always, but I think it it became very evident. Uh, later on, that that's what I love doing. I love traveling. There's an old adage that I uh, love quoting. Uh, don't be a pillow. A pillow remains at home. Be a suitcase and travel the world. Um, <laughs> love That's traveling. Um, yeah, <laughs> I have uh, traveled extensively, not only to uh, North America but to various uh, other countries, but mostly to but but a lot to North North America. And um, to repeat myself, I love traveling and going and meeting with customers and spending time with them. Post COVID, I think we have become a little reluctant in traveling, and business travel has reduced. It has picked up, but not to the same extent what it was earlier. Because you have a lot of options of being in touch with your customers, but nothing replaces, uh, you know, a handshake, a hug, and a dinner and a drink together, uh, which goes a very long way in building a long-term, mutually mutual trusting relationship. But yeah, I, I love doing that. Uh, being on the road for twenty-five days a month is is what just really excites me a lot. Absolutely, absolutely. No, and I can relate to it. I, I also love traveling a lot and I feel really lucky to have <clears throat> uh, such a wonderful team here because I think uh, the day goes by so fast here in our India office. Um, I mean, it's fun in the US as well, but I think a lot of our employees <clears throat> prefer to work from home or work from the customer side uh, in the US. So <clears throat> I feel like I'm more engaged and, uh, you know, being uh, the kind of person that I am, just always wanting action. 
I, I love it being able to interact with the team, to inspire at times, um, you know, the team members come up with new ideas, new projects. And I think that's what I'm really um, glad that now they'll have, uh, you know, a leader like yourself who has such a wonderful exposure and also, um, you know, the vast experience that you can be that mentor. Um, and then I can just, you know, be here maybe three or four months and uh, sort of tag team with you. And other times, hopefully, you know, be um, expanding in the new regions that we are getting to. So, well, great. I think uh, sure. sort of switching gears a little bit here. Um, what do you believe has been uh, the reason for? And and of course, I know you know your credentials. We had such a wonderful conversation. I think almost about a year ago. You know, when we first spoke, and then um, you know we. Um, then eventually slowly sort of uh, figured out the plan and at the right time you joined us now this week but what do you think have been sort of those key principles that have uh, you know given you the kind of success uh, that that you had because i see a lot of the younger people um just quickly switching jobs and i really admire this about you your loyalty to your previous organization and then the way that you did the transition as well uh, you know of course we wanted you to be here as early as possible but you know it still took a while and and i think that tells me how you wanted to make sure that the other business that uh, you have helped for the last 20 years they are taken care of as well but what are some of the guiding principles for you or i think um, those those important lessons that have worked for you in getting into a place where you are sure Absolutely. I was very lucky to find a, a long home in my previous organization. Uh, obviously, it speaks a lot about the organization more than anybody else. As leaders, it is about us to create organizations like this, which foster respect, growth and camaraderie for all the employees. I think the, the key tenet of, I think one of the most important things that I have learned is to treat everybody with everybody fairly and with a lot of respect. All colleagues, junior or senior, come with their uh, aspirations, their value add, their knowledge, their experience, their talent. As leaders, we, we learn from them as much as they learn from us and create an environment for them to grow, uh, to succeed in their personal endeavors, to meet their goals. I think an employee will contribute to the organization only if the organization contributes to his, him. And that's what I learned in my previous organization very clearly. That went a long way in creating a company as leaders, obviously, as I said, you know, we are responsible for it. Uh, in creating an organization that not only me, but a lot of other colleagues of mine, uh, some of them are still there, have spent a long and very fruitful time. Goes without saying that once you do that, you are obviously uh, duty bound and cognizant to create, you know, a transition backup plan so that what you have started doing internally and outside the company does not fail once you are not there. It also creates an environment for the next level to grow. Also, I learned one very important thing is try to hire people who are more talented than what you do because that's the only way to, you know, engage in the continuous learning process. I think these are the few values amongst a lot, I'm sure, you know, over the course of 20 years that we all learned from uh, working for such large organizations like the one that I spent last two decades with. Ethics, internal and external. You know, customers, our clients trust us a lot. 
ethics is a very small word but very very large meaning and we learned that to follow the contract whether written or oral uh, to follow the contract in every terms because what goes around will always come come around and you know if you create a trusting relationship with the client that's the best long term sticky engagement that you are able to create high quality innovation in everything that you do india is at the forefront of cutting edge technology it is very shameful for us if we are not able to innovate so as serious leaders of the industry as leaders of the companies that we work for it is upon us to create an innovation an organization that is known for innovation i think it's a long answer to your short question but these are the few values that i learned and try to practice in my life and will also try to implement at copper digital over my tenure here awesome awesome no wonderful answer and of course i think i can relate to it you know Learning the way you treat um, the employees, it's uh, just so important because, uh, see, I feel like a lot of times when I look back, uh, you know, whatever little I have, it's happened because of other people's efforts and the trust that they put in me and, um, you know, being there with me in a lot of those tough decisions that we have had to take and challenges that we faced. And I feel like those bonds that we create along the way are just extremely important. And, you know, thinking about the employees as, you know, someone that we want to contribute to and help them grow is just extremely important. And I think, uh, you know, that's what builds that loyalty as well for the employees. And I also feel like, you know, it's even if an employee joins and they work for a while and then they go away, you know, to do something else where they find better opportunities, even with them, making sure that we're doing our part and, you know, just keeping in touch and genuinely appreciating for the time they spent. I mean, that has gone a long way. And this is an important lesson that I actually learned from one of the investor meetings back in 2011. Um, you know, and we went out there and the first year we did three hundred thousand dollars and forty thousand profit, and then the next year we had bookings of three million dollars, and suddenly all hell broke loose, and we didn't know what to do. And we thought, "Whoa, you know what? We're gonna be this next big unicorn and billion dollars in revenue and all of that good stuff." And then we started to approach certain VCs and other investors, and even though we ended up not raising any capital. That whole experience was so amazing because that taught me some really valuable lessons. And one such lessons, um, you know, that I still remember was that this investor, you know, in his fancy office, uh, really beautiful carpet um, and, you know, the conference room, he said, I mean, you know what, we don't invest in services companies, um, you know, because of that exponential growth opportunity that comes with investing in products. And, you know, I was asking him, I was like, well, there's Infosys and TechMinder and all these other companies, and I, they have the potential of becoming, uh, you know, really, really big. And then he mentioned, listen, at times there may be some waves, like, you know, the Y2K happened, or, you know, there may be uh, something else like a big event with you know some luck and then that type of scale but he mentioned that it's very difficult for a company to achieve that kind of scale but what he also mentioned was that the key to success for you would be to make sure that if someone is leaving your organization you treat them really well because they would become your champions and they would become your salespeople. and he mentioned it may sound counterintuitive and i took it to heart and i was like you know what i i want to make sure that even if 
there are priorities that change for certain employees and they may be leaving. And, you know, initially when I started the company, it used to like really hurt if someone was leaving the company. It almost felt like, uh, you know, what, what do you mean? Like you don't love the company anymore. But eventually, slowly I realized that, you know, this is a part of the process. In fact, even Rupa, who's, you know, one of my key people, he uh, went away for, I think, maybe a little more than nine, 10 months uh, to work for a product company. And that really helped him, you know, learn, get that exposure and appreciate, uh, you know, the kind of relationship that we had. And he came right back. And there have been numerous examples of people who have left for another opportunity, but then at times it's been just a few months or, uh, you know, after a few years for their second stint coming back. And I feel like that's only because, you know, we really as an organization have this culture of, you know, giving the benefit of the doubt and making sure that, you know, we genuinely appreciate and love um, our employees because it's easy to at times, um, you know, start pointing fingers and be like, oh, well, why are you not on time? Or, you know, why did the, why are there these bugs in the software? But I think uh, as humans, first we get these negative thoughts I've learned. And, and then eventually when you just take a breather and just try to genuinely understand the employee, uh, you know, you can, you can tell that everyone, and I mean, everyone is trying to do their best based on what they know. And I feel like, um, you know, that genuine love for the employees has uh, definitely helped us. So I think I can relate to what you mentioned there. I think another thing that's been really important uh, for me has been uh, kind of related to what you mentioned in taking care of the customer. You know, sometimes, and especially in our early stages, it was easy for us to say that, oh, this customer doesn't have that engineering mindset. You know, they are expecting something that's unreasonable. But I have learned over the years that there is no such thing. Even though, you know, there may be times when you want to be tactfully explaining to the customer our business model and how it's in their best interest for us to be profitable in every engagement that we have so we can pay our people and, you know, so we can grow as an organization as well. It's important to help the customer realize that. But there is no way that you're going to burn a bridge, even with a customer who may sometimes be upset. I mean, you have to ensure that they are taken care of. Right? Um, you know, at times, if you just explain the challenge to them that, hey, we understand and this is the challenge and let's collaborate and solve this problem. You know, they would come to table and you can uh, come up with uh, you know, solutions to however big the problem may be. And, and, and I think this one was validated with the Amazon Web Services model as well. I know that they would give you this funding only if you have done that engagement and they'll give you those credits for uh, you know, the web services, if the customer uh, says that you have done a great job and Amazon and, and you know, being a user uh, for their app, for products and e-commerce as well. I mean, I almost see like they never uh, would like leave you there. They would always just take care of you, whatever the challenge may be. And I really like that. And I think that that is something that has helped them become, um, you know, a really trusted name in the industry and, and you know, becoming so huge. So no, that's uh, that's wonderful. I guess what are some you know similarly guiding principles in 
uh, in sales, I guess, um, is there is there a certain certain method, you know, for all that uh, great success that you had, sold tens of millions of dollars and created, you know, those engagements across various countries? What are some principles that, you know, for uh, for younger people who are looking to establish themselves in, in sales, uh, you know, because it is a lucrative job, uh, you know, being in sales. And, and I think um, I also really like sales because uh, salespeople have the most up-to-date information about, you know, what the customer wants and what they are trying to accomplish. And otherwise, you know, being an engineer at times, you're getting that information from sales or account management or project manager. But the salespeople really have the pulse of what's going on at your customer location, which, you know, can be exciting for people like me, I guess. Do you, do you want to share some advice for younger people who want to establish their career in sales? Well, um, you know, there is no secret sauce, really. Um, you know, there are uh, sales experts and gurus who have, you know, obviously uh, done a whole lot more than what people like me combined have done. One thing that has really helped me, Arvind, is the ability to pick up the phone and call various reps in the customer side because, you know, on the client side, there's just not one guy. There are several people, right? I mean, it's a cross-functional team. So the ability to pick up the phone and call the cross-functional team on the other side, on the client side, and uh, be in a very close, you know, be very thick with them to get their pulse. What the operations wants is, can be very different than what finance wants, can be very different from what the tech team wants on the client side. And while they may not say so in a group meeting, uh, on one-to-one, you get to know a lot about what their individual targets are, what their departmental targets are, what their aspirations are and how they relate to the organization. You also get a feel, a pulse of the organization in which direction it's going, what are the new initiatives, what are the challenges, are they paying their vendors like us on time, are there new initiatives where there are opportunities which are always music to our ears. So it's very important to be able to really talk that does not happen a lot nowadays. You have a lot of non-real-time communication, email, uh, etc. But you don't see a lot of in-person discussions, meetings, or phone conversations happening, which I think it's very important to have that personal rapport. I think that has that has really worked, you know, helped me a lot. Being able to talk to a cross-functional team. Now, it's not as it sounds, right? Because we may be delivering a PHP application to the organization. So what is the role of finance in it or what is the role of operations in it but unless and until you talk to them understand it you really cannot take that application to the next level go and diversify within the customer and create a bigger broader relationship because it's not shoot and scoot right you don't want to sell a sell an application and walk out of the customer you want there to be a very long-term relationship i've had customer relationships which have exceeded a decade and they constant and my clients tell us that uh you know they get offers from other suppliers and other partners every week, every month. So it's not as if there's a dearth of people, right? I mean, they're talented people all over the world, very talented folks. So what really keeps a customer sticky is most important, right? The continuity of the customer. I think that has really helped me a lot. And I think that's a super valuable lesson, right? I mean, it's not just that you just go and sell and then just go away. I think for the you know younger people aspiring to be in uh, the senior sales roles, I think it's all about making sure that you're taking care of the customer. So I couldn't, you know, agree with you more. I think there are a few other things that have worked for me. I feel like I almost, when I'm speaking to a customer for the first time, I tell myself to be extremely curious. Like, you know, just 
genuinely try to understand every aspect of you know their business about them and just you know let that curiosity sort of now we have a lot of different tools to record conversations as well but something that's informal if you're having that conversation taking notes you know really uh, goes goes a long way um and i think the third thing that i would say that has, like i'm Nice, nice. Yeah, I think uh, extremely important because there's science backing this up as well. It goes in our cerebral memory, you know, when we're writing something, the act of actually writing, not just taking notes. I think that uh, that has helped me a lot. And I think there's a third thing as well. I feel like, uh, you know, that's also really helped me. That's been um, candor. So, you know, offering information that otherwise the customer may not find out and that may not just be all about you know how great we are and how great i am but it's just you know genuinely accepting some of those challenges or some shortcomings or mistakes that we may have made i think that just instantly helps uh, build that connection because the customer goes oh wow okay well that's uh, you know you're sharing this information that's wonderful and you know we all have um, mistakes that we made but the way that we tackle those and the way that we overcome those, I think, uh, is what you know defines us. So, I think that's gone a long way as well. It just helps me establish that trust, you know, with the customer. If I can just be authentic, just be open and honest. So, you know, that's uh, that's wonderful. Well, great. I think uh, you know we are uh, around forty some minutes here, so we're gonna try to uh, wrap up here. But uh, another really important thing that I wanted for the benefit of our subscribers our community you know is what are the differences in different geographies right because you have a pretty unique profile where not only have you done business in india i know for your uh you know previous company you had clients in india but also as you described you've done tons of business in the u.s as well uh and then there are other geographies like you're pretty good with um Australia, New Zealand, and Western Europe for a company that may be focused in just one geography and, you know, doing pretty well there. What advice would you offer to them around um, the differences that you've noticed of doing business, you know, in Americas, Middle East, Australasia, I guess lots of different regions, uh, you know, maybe even Africa. Are there some, some big differences that uh, maybe our subscribers can benefit from? Well, obviously, the difference, the biggest difference, I think, uh, you know, obviously, the biggest difference is the difference of the culture, right? So, the Middle East has obviously a completely different culture. And admittedly, I've not done sales in Middle East. But having done uh, some sales in England and having done more than some sales in Australia, I think, uh, you know, apart from culture, some of the other stark differences, like, for example, from, an, you know, for the Australian market is that they, it's not, you know, there are no quick sales over there. It takes some amount of time. Typical sales cycle in the Australian market is longer than the typical sales cycle in, in US because, you know, obviously it's a smaller market. You know, it's a very highly relationship-driven market and to some extent a little more price sensitive as well. But the sales cycles are longer. So uh, I think apart from the clear difference of culture, these differences remain. Got it. Got it. Now, I'll, I'll maybe share some um, of my observations. So, you know, as yeah. I was telling the story earlier, we got lucky very early on because when we started, we were copper mobile and 
It was really the boom of um, mobile applications because everybody wanted mobile applications. And we were like, all right, we're going to be just this next unicorn. And, you know, then the very next year of our incorporation in 2011, you know, we started opening up new offices. Uh, you know, we opened one in Baltimore. You know, we called it the government uh, uh, focused uh, office. We opened one in California. Then, you know, uh, a good friend of mine from college. He approached me and he was like, whoa, I see, you know, you are LinkedIn and here and there and things uh, are looking pretty exciting for you. What can I do and bring you here in New Zealand? And that's when we opened up an office in uh, New Zealand as well. And, you know, very soon we realized that you should grow at a pace that you're comfortable with. And then we pulled back in the next couple of years and we were like, you know what, there's enough business in the U.S. for us to go around and really help customers there because of the reasons like you mentioned. I think, uh, you know, it's just uh, ease of doing business and that trust factor, um, you know, the, the support that you get and the security. I think it's just uh, really amazing in, in the U.S. And that's why a lot of the companies have their primary business there. But at the same time, I think, uh, you know, having done business in that geography in the U.S., going to Western Europe and Australia, I feel like there's, you know, this uh, feeling of that, wow, you've come from the U.S. And, you know, because even when I, I remember driving around in New Zealand and the news on the radio was, you know, about what Obama said, and this is way back when. And I was like, I mean, U.S. is just so central, you know, the way that, the innovation uh, has happened over there and because of the laws and being so open. You know, of course, um, Australia and UK and Germany, I think those are really amazing markets as well. I mean, German engineering is uh, renowned. Uh, but at the same time, I feel like in Western Europe, what prevents a lot of the organizations to go to those geographies is how fragmented the market might be. And also, I feel like because of different languages, it can be a challenge. I mean, of course, if you're in UK and Ireland, you know, then English is, um, you know, great and could maybe potentially find customers there. Um, but other than that, I think uh, finding customers in Spain, you have to have some idea of, um, you know, Spanish. And then I think uh, in Germany as well, while there is a lot of English spoken, but some of the senior people, you know, I've heard that have that preference for German speaking population. So it can be a little bit tough, but once you crack these markets, I think there are not as many partners that are knocking on their doors. So you can have that customer for a very long time. And I think that's why it just makes sense okay. for us to run these experiments um, and, you know, take your help in, in uh, expanding to these new geographies. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as, it say, as they say, you know, small successes will drive larger successes. So it's important for us to, you know, look for those small doors where we can get entry because they will help us, you know, you know, lead to bigger doors and bigger accounts. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Manoj, I'm, uh, I'm getting signals from my team that we've almost run out of time. So thank you so much. This so has been a fantastic. Yes, please. Sorry to interrupt, but let me let me take a moment and ask you a question. Please go ahead. You know, we have met a lot of times in person over video and the last couple of days here in the office. And, you know, one thing so unique about you is that you are as full of energy in the morning as in the night. How do you how do you remain so high on motivation? What motivates you really that you are able to extend a lot of your your charm, your energy, your enthusiasm almost on a almost on a 24 by 7 basis? Oh, you're, thank you. First of all, you're too kind. I think... Um... You know, I have my deal. Well, 
and I am sorry, but I saw a message from you at about three thirty in the morning India time, and I left last night after meeting with you at about nine o'clock. But I woke up in, in at like about four o'clock, and there was a message from you at three thirty. So that is actually a part of my question. Okay. <laughs> no, and uh, you know, guilty as charged. I think at times. Um, so I think first of all, when I was starting up, I had this uh, hunger. Um, you know. And this commercial drive, because growing up, you know, my dad um, was working in uh, New Delhi Municipal Council, and you know, I had all these uh, uh, aspirations that I wanted this and I wanted that. But then slowly, as I, you know, grew older and uh, became, uh, you know, slightly wiser, I feel like, um, you know, it, it shifted from those material things. But you know, for me, what gets me out of bed. Really, um, the relationships. Um, you know, I'm just so amazed with you know a lot of different teams that come together and collaborate. You know, the products that we're able to build. It's just like you know, I'm I'm thinking about okay, well, this person or you know this team is gonna have such and such meeting, and you know, how can we uh, make it efficient and have that agenda? But I think you know, in in all seriousness, some advice that I would also offer to others would be that take time off. When you feel like you've had a number of days of you know really burning the midnight oil, so for me, I'm really lucky to have uh, you know amazing people who are able to run the show, manage the team. So my schedule goes that when I'm in India, I have very limited time to interact with the team, to work with the team. So I'm okay to put in those you know 14-hour days while I'm in India, but when I'm away, then I make sure that I'm taking, you know, two or three weeks every now and then, every other month to go visit a new country. And that's when it's a little bit uh, meditative for me where, uh, you know, I can just um, not think about the business. And again, all that credit goes to the, the awesome people, the team leads that I have, especially Rupak, you know, Rupak, Jasmeet, uh, Pankuri, they all make sure that even when I'm not there, our goals are, you know, getting back. So I think you know, that's a long way of saying that I can do this for a little bit, taking off for some days and I can be like, okay, like really be focused for a few days and then just, uh, you know, completely be off and then come back again. I think that just is the way that I I work best. But uh, thank you for the kind words. I, I appreciate it. You know, I have my days when I'm like, oh my God, you know, why, why are, you know, some sometimes, you know, when we don't get views on our podcast or when we don't get views on our video and we've done so much hard work. So I have those days, but, you know, my friends and employees, they, you know, just really give me that strength to continue to go on. And if you just do it long enough, I think that compounding effect would uh, happen. So I think that's what gets me out of bed, that if I can just continue to do it long enough, you know, it's going to work out for sure. It's a long game, right? Absolutely, it is. It is. Great answer. Thank you. Thank you, Arvind. No problem. Thank you so much, Manoj. It was a great pleasure to have this conversation with you and, you know, share it with uh, my community, our corporate digital champions, you know, a lot of the ex-employees who follow us and, uh, you know, want to be uh, in touch and, of course, our teams across the globe. So, thank you and we're really, really excited to have you on board and do really great things over the next, you know, five to ten years and, uh, you know, build an organization that can be proud of the work that we do for our customers and then the growth that we are able to offer to uh, you know our employees. So I'm uh, really excited to embark on this journey with you and this is really a milestone for our organization to you know have you on board and expand to these new 
geographies, technologies, especially we've uh, changed our name, uh, you know, to be able to offer more services to our customers as well from, uh, you know, transitioning from copper moving to copper digital this year. So it's been a really important and milestone year and, uh, you know, your, your presence definitely puts a cherry on top. So thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. I'm very excited to be part of this team. It's a very, very dynamic, very talented team. And, and working with you and the rest of the team, it's, it's very, very exciting. Thank you again. Awesome. Well, thank you. See you later. Bye-bye.